Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. Do everything without complaining or arguing, so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a crooked and depraved generation, in which you shine like stars in the universe as you hold out the word of life, in order that I may boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labour for nothing. But even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you, so you, should, you too should be glad and rejoice with me. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, that I also may be cheered when I receive news about you. I have no one else like him who takes a genuine interest in your welfare, for everyone looks out for his own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know that Timothy has proved himself because as a son with his father he has served with me in the work of the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him as soon as I see how things go with me, and I am confident in the Lord that I myself will come soon. But I think it is necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus, my brother, fellow worker and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger whom you sent to take care of my needs. For he longs for all of you and is distressed because you heard he was ill. Indeed, he was ill and almost died. But God had mercy on him, and not on him only, but also on me, to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore I am all the more eager to send him, so that when you see him again, you may be glad and I may have less anxiety. Welcome him in the Lord with great joy, and honour men like him, because he almost died for the work of Christ, risking his life to make up for the help you could not give me. This is God's word. Cool. Let's, uh, let's pray and then we'll get into God's Word. Heavenly Father, thank you uh, that you are a gracious and a compassionate God. Thanks that we see that clearly from the fact that uh, when we read your Word and we see our state, we are destined for destruction. Our sin says that we deserve to die, but you give us a hope in Jesus and we thank you for the grace that you give us. We pray this morning as we fix our eyes on Jesus that you would help us see what it means for us to respond to live our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So uh, on Hamish and Andy this week, actually I think it was a little bit uh, longer than a week ago, they released this thing called Thank Hunters. So if you don't know what Hamish and Andy is or what they are, they're on the radio from four till six during the weekdays. They're just great. And they started this thing called Thank Hunters. And what it is is a website where you can go to kind of hunt for thanks. Right. The reason it started was because uh, the producer was talking to Hamish about how he was driving along and saw a guy clutch his chest and fall over. The producer sort of pulled over, rang the ambulance. Uh, the, like he was all right, I think, in the end. The ambos were, as they were kind of about to drive away, 
the producer said uh, to the Ambos, do you want my name or number or anything like that? And uh, the Ambos said, no, no, you're all right. But he was left there kind of wondering, but how is this guy going to say thanks to me? And so you can kind of see the irony of it as Ambos obviously do that every day without getting the recognition they deserve. And so they, they started this website called Thank Hunters, right? And so what you would see if you went onto it now is a few people jumping on, basically naming and shaming people who didn't respond properly, right? That's what it is. It's a place where you can go because people didn't respond the right way, respond the way that they should have. Now, now this kind of scares me because I'm not actually that good a responder, right? It's not that I'm not trying. It's not that naturally, you know, I, I don't say thanks like I feel like I do, but just generally, I'm just not that good at responding. And so this website is an extra reminder, an extra incentive for me to get my response right. Because if I don't, I'm going to be named and shamed and I can guarantee it's going to come back to bite me one day. Where some, It's going to be my kids Googling my name and the only thing that's going to come up is this thing where I haven't responded rightly. So they will look at me as an ungrateful parent if that day ever comes. Now, so it's an extra incentive for me to get my response right. Now, it kind of got me thinking as we meet here today, as we get into God's word, it got me thinking about what, what is, like, why do we have to get our response right with God? Is it actually that important that we get our response right to who God is and to what God has done, right? That, that's our question as we come to God's word today. Does it really matter that I get my response to God right. And so as we get into Philippians chapter 2, if you have your Bibles there, have them open to Philippians 2, what we're going to see is that there are at least five reasons why we need to get our response right. There are at least five reasons why our response really matters, why we need to get our response right. And so we pick up the story from verse 12. If you've got your Bibles there, have a look. Paul starts like this. This is what he says, Therefore, my dear friends... As you have always obeyed, not only in my absence, but now much more in my, uh, sorry, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. So, so why do we have to get our response right? The first reason we've got to get our response right is because of the who and what we're responding to, right? If you're taking notes, the first reason we, we've got to get our response right is because of the who and what we're responding to. And this comes from the fact that Paul starts with therefore. And as always, we've got to know what the therefore is actually there for. And this comes on the back of what we see in chapter, in chapter 2, verse 6 to 11, this magnificent, this glorious picture of Jesus. So, so let's catch that picture again, right? If you've got your Bibles there, have a look. We see this all unfold. Verse 6, we get Jesus who is God, right? He has everything, the highest of highs, angels crying to him, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. This is God here, but we see Jesus gave that up. Verse 7, he made himself nothing. He was brought low. Verse 8, he made himself, uh, he was found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself and became, became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Right. So, so this is the what we're responding to. Jesus died on the cross so we wouldn't have to die. Right. Now, we've got to see the, how big that is because Jesus had everything. But he died on the cross to defeat sin. But we know the story. He didn't just defeat sin. He defeated death. And so Jesus rose again. Then verse 9, God lifted him back up to the highest place, gave him the name above every name, so that verse 10 
every knee will bow at Jesus. And we're not just talking like praying to Jesus. Everyone in the world one day will know that Jesus is king to the glory of God the Father, verse 11. This is the picture we have, right? This is the who and the what that we are responding to. This is what the therefore is on the back of, right? So we have to see the weight of what's going on here, the weight of why we need to respond, right? This isn't just your birthday and you've been given a good gift. Right? We, we see that, right? This isn't like your birthday or Christmas where you've just been given a really nice gift and you want to respond because your husband, your wife, your parents have bought you something nice and you want to make them feel like, you know, that was good. Hopefully one day they'll do that again. You know, this isn't that. This isn't flowers that you've gotten that your response matters because you want flowers again. No, no, this is bigger than that. This is a bigger deal than that. Right, The who and what we're responding to here is Jesus going to outrageous lengths to, to save you and me. Right? We see this, the, the what we're responding to is the good news of the gospel that we don't have to get what we deserve. Right? That we don't have to get destruction, what we deserve. That's the what we're responding to. But the who we're responding to also matters. Right? We're responding to Jesus, the, the king, the, the king of the universe. So, so the first reason why how we react, how we respond to what God has done for us in Jesus is because of exactly what God has done for us in Jesus. The, the who and what. right? That's the first reason our response matters. What's the second reason our response matters? Well, the second reason our response matters is because God actually calls us to respond. right? So I don't know if you saw that. Verse 12, it says, Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. So when we're talking about response, we, we always have to remember that it is a response. Right, we understand that, don't we? Nothing we ever do will get us God. Everything we do comes from, flows out of what God has done to get us. Right, Jesus died on the cross way before I did anything good. Everything I do is a response to Jesus. But there is a tension here, isn't there? Right, you feel this tension? He says, work out your salvation. So how do we understand this tension? Because on the one hand, God does everything. Right? Every single thing God does to save you. He died on the cross to save you. Verse Chapter 1, verse 6, Paul says he's confident that God will finish what he started in his faith. So God does everything Right on the one hand. But then on the other hand, we've got this tension that, that he's saying here, work out your salvation. So how do we understand this tension? How do we figure out what Paul's saying? Well, instead of talking for the next half an hour, trying to wrestle with what Paul is logically trying to get at, let's just look at Paul's life. Because if we look at Paul's life, Paul is someone who gets that God does everything. right? There's no way you can read Philippians or any of the other letters that Paul writes and argue otherwise. Paul gets that God has saved him despite the fact that he deserved destruction. In fact, in chapter 3, which we'll see next week, he counts his flesh as nothing compared to what he has in Christ. So Paul gets 100% that God does everything. And yet, how does he live his life? Is Paul lazy? Right? Is he, he's in Rome at this point. Is he just going down to the Colosseum watching gladiators fight all day? Well, what's Paul doing? Now we saw that chapter 1. Do you remember? He said, to live is Christ, to die is gain. So, so if I'm living, it means fruitful labor for me. Right, so, so Paul, the tension, how it works out in Paul's life, he gets 100% that God does everything, but he also gets that he needs to live Christ. And so here, for us, when we think about the second reason we've got to respond is actually because God calls us to respond. God actually calls us to live out our faith. So work out your salvation. Let's not get caught up on the language there. Work out is simply live, live out, be active, your salvation, your faith. So live out your faith God is calling you to live out your faith. 
Right? Do we understand that God is doing it? And there's a level here where we simply need to listen to him because he's God. Right? Do we understand? Like This is God talking to us. There is a level here where we just have to live out our faith because God is asking us to do it. It's kind of like what happens um, potentially in your house when you tell your kids to clean the room. Right, So uh, I was never someone who grew up naturally being able to clean my room. I mean, it just didn't come to me naturally. Uh, still aren't great, really, at cleaning my room. But by the grace of God, I'm getting... Uh, it doesn't matter. Um, but, but it's like what happens... So in your house, right, you tell your kids to clean their room. If you don't have kids, just pretend for a second that you do. Or maybe you remember when you were a kid. And so um, in your house, when you tell your kids to clean their room, we all know that your status with them doesn't change whether they do it or not. Right? We get that. Right? This isn't Facebook. You can't just unparent your kids. You can't unfriend them because they didn't clean their room. If they don't clean their room, they're still your kid. Right? And if they do clean their room, if they do clean their room, they're not all of a sudden more of your child. Right? Does that make sense? We, we know this, right? And there is a level where kids should, the key word is should, clean their room simply because the parents ask them to. Now, now what we get here is God actually calls us to live out our faith. And there is actually a level here where we should do it because God is calling us to do it. Right? God is actually calling me to live out my faith. God is doing it. And there's a level here where I actually should do it because God's telling me to. So, yeah, I get that all of this flows out of Jesus and what he's done. This is a response. It's a natural thing that flows. But there is also a level where we've got to do it because God is telling me to do it. Now, my status doesn't change before him if I do it or not. Right? If I trust in Jesus, it's not like all of a sudden if I am obedient, I'm more his child. No, no, God loves me unconditionally. I see that at the cross. But my response flows out of that, and there's a level here where I do it because God's calling me to. So first reason we're responding to God, it matters because of who and what we're responding to. Second reason, because God calls me to. The third reason, what's the third reason? Well, it's in verse 13. This is what he says, For it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. We see the tension that we, we were talking about before there, that it's actually the God who works in you. But the third reason is also there. It's an outrageous reason that our response matters, and it's because God works in you. Right? That, that blows my mind, the fact that God works in us to achieve his good purpose. Can you see how crazy this is? God can do whatever he wants, right? He's God. He can do whatever he wants at any point in time in history. He can do anything he wants. And yet what we're told here is that God actually works in you to achieve his good purpose. That's crazy talk that God uses us. He works in us to achieve his good purpose, right? It's kind of like the, the way the Bible describes what's happening here is actually we, we see it in Corinthians. We're described as clay jars. Right, the modern version of that might be Tupperware. Right, actually, no, come on, Tupperware is too good for that. Let's go lower than Tupperware. Um, you know the containers your Thai food comes in or Chinese food comes in. Now, now I don't know what your go-to Thai is. Uh, I love Thai red curry, and so as it comes to the house, you know, maybe you get it delivered or just you buy it. it still comes in those containers. No one, when they get their, their favorite Thai dish and it smells good, they're hungry and, and they get their Thai, no one goes, yes, I've got another dish, right? I've got another container that I can use. Let's get rid of the Thai because I can use this container and you can have, 
I don't know, whatever you want for work tomorrow. We'll take that to it. No one does that, right? Most of the time, actually, what's happening is the container's like leaking. It's too hot anyway. Some of it's gone in the car, right? It's a dodgy old container, but you are still excited because there's good food inside, right? This is kind of the picture of us, right? Why we are described as clay jars, and if you're anything like me, broken botched up clay jars that that are barely holding together. And yet God uses me to make him look good because of the treasure inside, which is Jesus. God uses you to achieve his good purpose. God uses you, right? Do you feel the weight of why living Christ matters? Because God actually works through you. God works through you to achieve his good purpose. He doesn't need you, right? He doesn't need you. you, He doesn't need you, but he uses you to achieve his good purpose. And so that doesn't matter whether you're a kid or a teenager or a young adult, whether you're older and married, whether you're older than that again, whether you're retired or older than that again. It doesn't matter where you are in that scale. God, God uses you. He works through you to achieve his good purpose, right? So, so our response matters. Our response matters because God works through us. It's crazy, but he does it. So first reason we respond to God is because of who and what we're responding to. Second reason, because God calls us to. Third reason, because God works through us. What, I feel like we could stop there, right? Talk about this, wrestle with this, but there's two more. So let's keep going. Uh, let's have a look at the next one. Verse 14. Let's keep reading. This is what Paul says, do everything without complaining or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a crooked and depraved generation in which you shine like stars in the universe as you hold out the word of life in order that I may boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor for nothing. But even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you, so you too should be glad and rejoice with me. What's the fourth reason our response matters? The fourth reason is so that we continue in our faith. Now, there is a little bit more going on here than just the practical application to not complain and argue, right? That's definitely here. That's definitely something that I feel like I often need to hear. But there's more going on than just this complain and arguing thing. And and so what is Paul doing? Because I think it's strange that he picks up on just those two things. But then it's also strange that in verse 15, your Bible might say it, mine doesn't, but some Bibles point to the fact that verse 15 actually comes out of Deuteronomy 32, verse 5 to 6. Right, so what's Paul doing here? What's Paul getting at? Because it seems like there's more going on than just meets the eye. And what Paul is doing here is actually alluding to a journey that's already happened, a story that's already happened in the Bible of how the Israelites came out of Egypt going into the promised land. Right. And so to understand fully what Paul is getting at here, right, let's just quickly have a look at what this story is, what this journey is, is that he's alluding to. So you might have watched Prince of Egypt lately, but we know the story, right? Moses goes to the Pharaoh and says, let my people go. Back in the day, Israelites are in slaves in Egypt. Amazing things happen. The water turns to blood. Darkness fills the land. Finally, after the Pharaoh's stubbornness, the firstborn dies. He lets the people go. 
right? He lets the people go, changes his mind. God parts the waters because he can, because he's God. And then the Israelites get over into the wilderness to the promised land. That is the quickest highlights package of Genesis and Exodus you'll ever receive. And so the Israelites are in the wilderness pursuing the promised land. They've come out of slavery. Here they are. Everything should be happy days. But it's not. Right? It's not. And so what happens is over and over again, the Israelites complain and argue. Right? So, so here, the, one of the big times that they do that, Moses is gone for too long. Right? And they're complaining that he's gone for too long. Make this golden calf. Right? Build the golden calf up. Start worshipping the golden calf. They're complaining. They're arguing kind of led to that point. Moses is furious, crushes the golden calf into water and makes them drink it. I'm sure they were complaining about that too. But this complaining and arguing, it continues. Right? They complain and argue. If you know the story about food. Right? They don't have enough food, so they complain and argue again for more food. This happens over and over and over again, this cycle of complaining and arguing. And then we see this in Numbers chapter 14. So if you want, you can go there, but it'll be on the screen. So Numbers 13, and believe it or not, Numbers is actually a book that's about more than Numbers. It's not just about Numbers. But in chapter 13, we get this picture of in the wilderness. The spies go out to check out the promised land. Right? Do you know the story? Two of them come back. And they go, man, the promised land was great, right? They, they go uh, in chapter 13, they go, they go, yeah, the promised land was great, but there's a couple of people there that will never fight. But 10 of the other guys, if you remember, 10 of the other guys complain and argue and go, no, we're never going to get through. How do the people respond? Well, the people respond in chapter 14, verse 2. So have a look. This is what we see in chapter 14, verse 2. All the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron, and the whole assembly said to them, If only we had died in Egypt or in this desert. Why is the Lord bringing us to this land only to let us fall by the sword? Our wives and children will be taken as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to each other, We should choose a leader and go back to Egypt. Right, they're complaining, they're grumbling, they're arguing has led to this point. Now you have to see how crazy this talk is. Right, they're saying it would be better to go back to Egypt. Egypt's not just a bad job, right, where they didn't realize it was as bad as it, it, it was actually not that bad. See what I'm saying? This is not that. No, in Egypt they were slaves. Egypt was bad. And they're saying this would be better to do that because God's taking us to this land so, so that these people can plunder and take our women and children. But, if, but God's not going to do that. Right? Like, can we see this? God would never do that. If they just trusted God, they'd get into the land. But, but they're complaining, they're arguing, shows us that something deeper is going on, doesn't it? Like, it's not just they're complaining and arguing that's going on. It shows something deeper. They've lost the plot, right? They've completely forgotten who God is and what God has done. They've forgotten God's purpose and plan for them. Right? Can you see that? They're complaining and they're arguing shows that something deeper was off in their hearts. They lost the plot. Right? They completely lost the plot. And their complaining and their arguing was simply a fruit of the fact that they'd forgotten who God was. Now, if I learned anything on Thursday night from the marriage course, it was that everything I do and say flows out of my heart. Right? That, that was a big thing on Thursday night. But the picture we get in the Bible isn't just for married people, coincidentally, it's for everyone. The picture in the Bible is that it is of a tree and its fruit. Right? And so an orange tree can't produce apples, an apple tree can't produce orange. Whatever the tree is, that's the fruit it will produce. And so the picture is that our speech, our actions, our thoughts are the fruit of what's going on inside. 
And so the Israelites again and again complain and argue, and it shows us that something is off in their hearts. Right Now, this gets worse because in verse 10 in Numbers, I haven't put it on the screen, but in verse 10 in Numbers 14, they decide that they're going to kill Moses and Aaron. Right, They come up with a plan to stone them, to kill them. But God steps in. Once again, God is furious. He steps in. He wants to kill them all. Moses says, can you please forgive them? This is what God says. Verse 20, it'll be on the screen. Numbers 14, verse 20. The Lord replied, I have forgiven them as you asked. Nevertheless, as surely as I live and as surely as the glory of the Lord fills the whole earth, not one of the men who saw my glory and the miraculous signs I performed in Egypt and in the desert, but who disobeyed me and tested me ten times, not one of them will ever see the land I promised on oath to their forefathers. No one who has treated me with contempt will ever see it. Right? God says what's going on for them. They will never get to the promised land. Now, it's not simply about their complaining and arguing. It's because they lost the faith. And then God says this in verse 27 of Numbers 14. He says, How long will this wicked community grumble against me? I have heard the complaints of these grumbling Israelites. And then he says they'll die before they get into the land. Right? So complaining, arguing, grumbling, it's the cycle that they were in over and over again. But it was a sign that something was off in, our, in their hearts. Right now, when we follow the story to the end, in Deuteronomy, what Deuteronomy is, is Moses' last sermon. Right, That's what Deuteronomy is, basically his last sermon before they get into the promised land. I know it would have been a long sermon, probably even longer than this. But at the end of Deuteronomy, in chapter 32, this is what Moses says. As he's getting to the end of his sermon to the people, this is what he says. And see how the language he uses is kind of like the language Paul uses in Philippians 2. This is what he says in Deuteronomy 32, verse 5. They have acted corruptly toward him. To their shame, they are no longer his children, but a warped and crooked generation. Is this the way you repay the Lord? It could be their respond. Is this the way you repay the Lord, O foolish and unwise people? Is he not your father? Is he not your creator who made you and formed you? What Moses is saying is that they have lost their faith. And since they've lost their faith, they're not going to go into the promised land. They're not his children anymore. They let go of the promises they had. They saw what God did, and yet they let it go. Now, when Paul picks up on this language in Philippians 2, this is the idea that he's getting at, right? He's getting at more than just complaining and arguing, more than just those things. He's getting at their faith because complaining and arguing is signs that something off is there is something off within us, right? Like if we are complaining and arguing, doesn't it show us that there is something that we've lost sight of, right? That we've missed the sight. But it's not just complaining and arguing. It's everything that we do and say and think. And so we actually have to think about the way we respond because it's a sign of what's going on within us, right? So, so the fourth reason it matters is so that we continue in our faith. The fourth reason our response matters is so that we continue in our faith. And so we actually have to check ourselves at this point. right? We actually have to think about what am I doing and what am I saying? What am I thinking? Does it line up with what God wants me to do and wants me to say? Does it line up with how God is asking me to respond? Am I living for comfort or am I living for Christ? Right? These are the questions we have to ask, not simply because of the fruit of what's in front of us, but because it might just be that there is a sign that something is off in our hearts. Right? Now, it's not meant to make us feel guilty. It's just meant to sit us down and, and ask hard questions of ourselves. 
Have I lost sight of the cross? Have I lost sight of the glorious picture of Jesus? Have I lost sight of the fact that I am deeply sinful, but that Jesus saved me? Right? Can you see how your response matters so that we continue in our faith, so that we check our hearts? That's the fourth reason, so that we continue in our faith. And the fifth reason, well, we see it in the end there from verse 19 to 30. We heard it read out before, but what we see in verse 19 to 30 is Paul talk about Timothy and Epaphroditus. Now, I think there's more going on here than just a ministry report, right? Some people will say that, but I actually think there's more going on here. I think what Paul is doing to us, doing for us is commending these two men to show us the fifth reason why our response matters, because God uses people like us to build up his church. God uses ordinary people like us to build up his church, right? So we see this here. We First of all, we see it with Timothy. Paul says in verse 20, if you have a look, he says, I have no one else like him, right? He says, verse 21, everyone looks out for their own interests, not those of Christ Jesus, but, but Timothy does that. He says, you know, Timothy, he's proved himself. He's been working in the gospel. And then he says, uh, verse 23, I hope to send him soon. I hope to send Timothy so he can be an encouragement, build up the church. Then we see Epaphroditus, the second guy. He is a fellow worker and fellow soldier. Interestingly enough, he's probably the guy that actually carried the letter to this church, right? Carried Paul and Timothy's letter at the beginning. And Paul here is commending him to the church, saying he was a fellow worker and soldier in verse 25. Verse 26, he longs for you. He loves for you. He almost died for the gospel. But verse 27, God had mercy on him and not only on him, but also on me to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. Then we see in verse 29, he says to the church, welcome him with great honor, with great joy and honor men like him. See what he's saying to the church? He's saying, encourage Epaphroditus, right? He says, I hope to send Timothy to encourage you to build up you. And then he says, encourage Epaphroditus, build him up because he served God faithfully. The fifth reason our response matters is because God uses people like us, ordinary people like us to build up his church, right? God God actually uses us. Are you feeling the weight of this? God doesn't need us. We are not the finished product. I am broken and weak and sinful. I want to give up again and again, but God uses me to build up his church. But it's not just me, right? The picture of church is not just a few of us do the heavy lifting, but all of us together build up and encourage each other. This is what God's saying. Our response matters because God uses you here at Southside. God uses you at church. So so listen to me. You are not worthless. Right? You are not a waste of space here. You are not just making up the numbers. You are sinful like me, but in Christ you are loved and you are valued and you are needed. Right? Whoever you are, you are needed because God works through you to build up his church. God uses ordinary people like us to build up and to encourage his church. Are you feeling the weight of this? Are you seeing this? This is ridiculously good that God, he doesn't need us, but he uses us to be a part of something greater. So it doesn't matter how old you are, right? If you are a kid here this morning, church is not just a place for adults, but you can encourage and challenge and benefit the rest of us. And and as a church, we've got to see the value in kids. We have much to learn from kids, their faith, their boldness in telling their friends about Jesus. If you are a, a youth here this morning, if you're a teenager this morning, you're not just here to make up the numbers, right? You're, you're not just here because you have to be here. I know that's how you might feel, but, but God uses you here. God uses you to build up and to encourage the church to help people to keep trusting in Jesus. 
And as a church, we've got to see this about our teenagers, right? I know teenagers sometimes can make silly decisions, but lots of the time can make really good decisions, really life-changing decisions, decisions that would encourage, challenge us to keep trusting in Jesus. It's not just kids and teenagers, they're all of you, right? Right from singles to, to married to older to retired to older than that, God uses you to build up this church, to encourage one another. So can you see how practically this plays out, right? Can you see how consistency might matter at this point, right? Because if you're not at church, God can't use you to build up the church, right? It's not like we don't want you to come so we make up the numbers, but, but God uses you here, Right? God uses you to build up the church. And then practically, like when we go out to have morning tea and talk to each other, as I'm talking to someone who's 50 years older than me, who's trusting in Jesus, I'm encouraged and built up by the fact that someone 50 years older than me is, is trusting Jesus. But it's not just one-way traffic. It works both ways. They are encouraged and built up by me as I'm trusting Jesus, as I'm figuring this thing out. Right? This is how it works. God uses you. Right? God uses you here to build up and to encourage Southside. Right? That's why your response matters. That's why your response to this whole thing matters because God actually uses you to help people to keep trusting Jesus until they see him face to face. Is there, I don't even know that there's nothing that's more powerful. I don't know if you can think of something more purposeful that you actually play a role in someone's faith. Now, can you see how if we get this stuff individually, it will transform our church? Right? If we grasp a hold of this individually, then as a church, everything we've been talking about, we will do together. We will be, as a church, working out our faith. Right? We'll be encouraging, building each other. As a church, we will then shine like stars and people will see Jesus. As a church, if we get this individually, it will transform and change our church. And so the question is, how are you going to respond? Right? Right? To all this stuff, how are you going to respond? Are you going to be lazy or are you going to be actively living out your faith? Are you going to be complaining and arguing? Or are you going to capture the greater vision? Are you going to live for comfort or live for Christ? Are you going to come to church to serve yourself? Or are you going to come to church, be used by God to build up others? Your response matters. It matters. How we respond to God matters. It responds, first of all, because of who and what we're responding to. It matters second of all because God actually calls us to live out our faith. It matters third of all because God works through us to achieve his greater purpose. It matters fourthly so we continue in our faith. It matters fifthly because God uses us to build up our church. See, God has called us apart to be a part of something greater. He has called us to be a part of something greater. So let's be a part of it. Let's be a part of something greater. God calls us to. Let's pray and ask that, we, that he'd help us. Heavenly Father, thank you for the gospel. Thank you for Jesus who died on the cross to save us. Thank you for the good news that we can know you. Thank you for the hope that we have been called together to be a part of something greater. Lord, the challenge now is set for us to respond to who you are, to what you've done, to respond to what your word says. We pray that you would challenge, encourage, help us to do this as we see that you use weak and broken people like us to build your church. We pray that we would be a part of something greater. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.